0: be starting in Matthew then move over to Ruth this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David and the son of Abraham Salmon, the father of uh, Boaz whose mother was Rahab Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the king the father of King David Ruth 14 through 17 but Ruth clung to her Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you, you say, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, but it ever be so dearly. Even if, if even death separated you and me. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shine. church said. Um, I'm blessed to see the Lees here today. Good to have you all here. Not quite like a grandchild, you'll have to, sorry, forgive me, but it's great to have you here. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origins are from of old. From the Ancients of Days. You see, before David was born in Bethlehem, and what will eventually be the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, it was the place where Jacob buried Rachel. It was the home of the young Levite in Judges 17 and another Levite's concubine's home in Judges 19, neither of which are wonderful stories. But maybe we should most take note, and maybe the true hero of Bethlehem before Jesus is born there, of its native sons, maybe we should most take note that it is the home of a man named Boaz. As we continue to examine the women in Jesus' lives, we've included Eve and Tamar and Rahab, and we recognize the incredible faith that we see in each of them. Very different in each situation, but a determined, risk-taking, life-changing, unexpected faith that we have the opportunity when Matthew gives us his genealogy to when he makes these breaks from the regular son of, son of, son of to tell us about the name of a woman, it points us to a very unexpected faith. Today we're going to take a closer look at two very different women and yet whose stories fall almost line after line in Jesus' story. In fact, these few lines in the genealogy are packed. Rahab, Ruth, and while Preston didn't read it, if you're familiar with it, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. One might say that Matthew's already too embarrassed to even mention her name. And the book of 1 Chronicles, when it retells David's story, won't even include that part of David's story as they hold him up as a hero that we want to shape and point our lives towards as we build a new nation coming back from the exile. Matthew's not embarrassed. Matthew wants to bring the point home. When he talks about Bathsheba, he wants to be sure that we understand that she wasn't David's wife, first of all, and that she didn't belong to him, but God could still use her in his infinite and great love. Somebody say, amen. Ruth's story is found in this wonderful little book that's just kind of tucked in there. If you flip your pages too fast, you'd miss it, and yet it's the story Maybe not to be missed in the whole section from the death of Moses until David is crowned king. We don't want to miss the story of Ruth. Because it's the story that gives us such incredible images of love, loyalty, mercy, and yes, in so many ways, hope. Chapter 1 will tell us the story of Ruth's, of Naomi's history. Because before we're done with the book, we will notice that Naomi is sort of the key character. The book's not named after her. But, and in fact, her husband, Eli Melech, maybe the book should be named after him because he's a male. But instead, it's Naomi becomes this focus. We understand her history as a wife of a husband That a famine comes on the land and that the the family moves to the dreaded country of Moab. But apparently this was the place that they could find a way to eke out a living. Make no mistakes. Just like today, being an immigrant and at some level, if I'm from Moab, the Israelites are not welcome invaders. We might call Eli Melech and his family illegal aliens, and it wouldn't have been easy for them to make a living, but somehow or another, God blessed them enough for both of their sons to find wives. Ruth is one of those two wives. Things turn around, but Eli Melech himself will die. Things will turn around back in Israel, and the family will head back, but the two sons will not survive. They, too, will pass away like their father does. And so Naomi is left without a husband. Naomi is left without sons. She just has these two daughters-in-law. As she approaches the border of Israel, she says, you can, you can, stay, go- you can stay home, but that powerful line, Preston, thank you for doing such a good job of reading it, that powerful line that says, where you go, I'm going to go, And your people are going to be my people and your God are going to be my God. And to a certain extent, we should hear it ring with what Rahab had to say in Jericho. I've heard about what your God did in the Red Sea. And we've heard about what your God did in conquering Og and Sihon, the Amorite kings. And I want my life to be joined to your people and your God. And so it is here, Ruth following that example of somebody who's not too far up the family tree, to say, I want to be with you. I know who I am. And if the Israelites were illegal aliens in Moab, when Ruth returns to Bethlehem, she is the most hated of all the illegal aliens. The Moabites were, were particularly condemned by God because of their response to the people as they were sojourning for the 40 years in the wilderness. And God put a special curse on them. And yet, here, Ruth the test. Does your translation have that word? It's, it's, it becomes almost too much of a mouthful. But every time we say her name, we make sure to say... This is not somebody clean as the driven snow. This is not somebody who's come from the right place. This person is from the wrong side. The way wrong side of the tracks. In fact, we might say that she's from the wrong side of the tracks on the wrong side of the tracks. She's the wrong person. And yet she's the one expressing this incredible loyalty to to Naomi. Chapter 2 introduces this wonderful story of how the women arrive, and again, just like any kind of immigrants, just like any kind of illegal aliens, they suddenly have to kind of figure out how to make a living. And there's no men in the family to farm the family's land. There's no time to have planted crops. They arrive at the harvest, and Ruth goes out to see if there's anything to pick up in the fields, in the corner of the fields, just enough to get by on. And the text loves to crack a big smile and say that Ruth just happened to arrive in the fields of Boaz, a man named Boaz. What we know is that that phrase should have made everybody in the audience giggle. If you read the story with any kind of history with God, you know that things don't just happen in this sort of thing. Instead, God has a bigger plan. And Ruth, the foreigner, is in the hand of God. In a very powerful sort of way, God is already setting up, and has, has been already, setting up to say to Israel, it's amazing to me how unfaithful you can be when these foreigners can so often be incredible models of faithfulness. Jesus will use the same tactics. When he tells the story to the, to the lawyer who wants to know who his neighbor is. And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. The most despised of people in that day and time. And to the people he was talking to. And yet he made him the hero of the story. In the same way that Jesus will speak of the centurion. Who Jesus says, I'll go with you to heal your sick servant. And, and the centurion says, no you don't need to come with me. You just say the word. And he says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. In a very powerful way, the writers of the Old Testament want to highlight this idea that when we look for faith, we don't always look inside the boundaries of Israel. Boaz Not only lets her come to the field, but he shows incredible kindness to her. He is already a person of kindness because he's left the corners of his field, as God instructed, uncut so that the poor can come and glean. But he then tells his servants, leave a little extra. Don't put everything in your sheaves. I want want there to be a lot for her to take home. And at least it's a possibility that the reason that he does this is not because he finds her an attractive woman, but because he knows Naomi. And he says, if I'm going to be faithful to Naomi, I need to help this woman out. In chapter 3, a very interesting scene takes place. Moms and dads, you need to read it with your kids. I'll let you explain every, all the details. But before it's done, Boaz wakes up and finds Ruth. And he says to her, it's interesting how the language works. Because Boaz has shown kindness to Ruth, and now Boaz says, "You are showing kindness to me." be found in a lot of different contexts, and we need to interpret it closely. But the key word is the idea that she wants to be loyally faithful as she was to Naomi, she wants to be loyally faithful to Boaz. And, it, and he sees it not as an obligation. He doesn't see her, and again, this will contrast with the second person in our story, the second woman. He does not see her as an object to be taken advantage of. He sees her as a giver of a gift. He sees her as one of those people who in God's relationships with each other, love your neighbor as yourself, the Leviticus passage that he's read and heard before. He has cared for her and she is caring for him. Chapter 4 Brings us to a marriage between Boaz and Ruth. And it's a wonderful story of covenant. Of making sure that that the the proper person is in the proper place. And the proper conversations take place. Everything about chapter 4 is done exactly the right way. And if you think that chapter 3 raises a few questions about how things should be done. Chapter 4 solves all those problems. And it is Boaz who stands up and says, I want to do this the right way. The result of that marriage is that Ruth and Boaz have a child. But when we get to the last line, the last line, the purpose of the book is to say, Look how God restored Naomi. Look how God cared for Naomi. No matter how difficult her circumstances, God was not going to give up on her. And in many ways, The book of Ruth, following the book of Judges, where so many things go wrong and so many things are bad. And Israel might say, is there any hope for it at all? Because God may have abandoned us. The little story of Ruth and the example of the way that God cares for Naomi in the most interesting and winding sorts of ways reminds the people of Israel that he has not abandoned them and that he intends to restore them as well. Ruth will teach us three things, and it is amazing how this book and the relationship between Ruth and Boaz will illustrate things that will become a truth in Jesus' life and should be a truth in our own. We find this incredible unexpected loyalty, the unexpectedly loyalty of Ruth to Naomi and Boaz to Ruth, and then Ruth to Boaz. And in reality, these are people in this story who are simply showered with the loyalty, the loyal love of God. He's not going to give up on them. He's not going to let them go. And it just flows back and forth between those people. Jesus, Jesus, the proclamation of the angels, the proclamation of the shepherds, the proclamation of the heavens through the star, was God has not left. In fact, God wants to be sure we know that he is with us in a way that is greater than we could have ever asked or imagined. He became flesh to be with us. Secondly, we find this unexpected kindness word all over the place. The kindness of of Boaz, to follow God's law, to be sure and care for the poor. The kindness of Boaz, to to not just leave extra, but to to send her home with an abundance. The kindness of Boaz, to make a relationship right. And we find in God this kindness to say to us, I know I'm going to find you in broken places, I know that your life is going to lead you into brokenness. Your choices, your selfishness will often lead to that brokenness. But I will kindly deal with you in my mercy to bring you home. And so ultimately what we see in God's witness and in the life of Christ and what God points us to is unexpected love. Unexpected love to a neighbor who lives next door. Unexpected love to brothers and sisters in Christ in the many ways that we do that. Unexpected love to the people in our society who fit the same bill that Ruth did in being that illegal alien. Someone who nobody wants to have anything to do with from the surface because of her circumstances and who she is. But instead, we choose, as God chooses to extend that love. The story of the wife of Uriah the Hittite, or Bathsheba, her story is found in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. There are some other parts of her story that comes up, but mostly what her story is centered on is the idea of David seeing and taking. This is a long story. You can kind of trace it through the whole Bible. It's kind of interesting because if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve who saw and took. And constantly we come back over and over again to this process of seeing and taking. And it should be directly contradicted to, what did you do to that baby? I didn't see Marshall when you came in, but we're so glad to have Marshall here. It is exactly the opposite because what God does is he sees and he gives. Notice John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he saw us and he gave the greatest gift he had to give. Jesus will see the people and how they're like a sheep without a shepherd and he gives his compassion to them, not just a feeling, but he gives his life to them. ...as far as he can go, David sees and takes. You may have heard the story told in a lot of different ways... ...but ultimately, we cannot escape the reality... ...that David is the powerful sovereign... ...who takes advantage of the powerless woman. David is the powerless sovereign who can... ...and again, you you think you, you don't see it in the story may not see it with Bathsheba. If she had refused to come, what could David have done? Let's be done with her. And you say, well, David wouldn't have done that. What did David do to her husband, Uriah? We'll be done with him. Lots of scheming, lots of tricking, lots of trying. But ultimately, he was willing to wield that ultimate power. To see that he needs to get to an end and take whatever action it took to get there. She is a victim. She hasn't sinned. She is not the cause of this brokenness. This brokenness is brought upon her. And maybe in many ways, we relate to her character as much as we do any others. Because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But in a powerful way, we all also carry a little bit of a victim heart in us. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve this. I didn't put myself in that situation, and look what's happened. We sort of recognize the consequences of our sin, but what we hold in our hearts as a grudge against God are the things that, I didn't do anything wrong, and terrible things happened. Or maybe, maybe you join me in this. It just almost always seems that when we're ready to give something extra, when we're ready to kind of serve somebody in a way that's a little bit above and beyond, that'll be the time that things a left turn gets thrown in there. I don't know. I happen to know that no matter how much Google Maps can help us, and no matter how accurate the information is, every year when I deliver presents... Got to go on a little journey to get there. Not going to just wind up there in one fell swoop. Got to work at it. I'm doing something good for God. Shouldn't Google, God should cause Google just to drop me off at the front door and everybody be there and everybody speak my language and no misunderstandings or anything like that. It never happens that way. We say, God, why can't you do something about this? And he does over and over and over again just as he does with David and the woman that Matthew won't name, but that we know as Bathsheba. While we can always point to and strive for love to be the message of our life, we know the true story of love is God's steadfast love that stands against all our human brokenness. Amen? And what we have to affirm is that God's steadfast love will always be greater than our human brokenness. Church, God's steadfast love will always be greater than our human brokenness. See, no matter how many messes I can get myself into, God's love is greater than those. And no matter how much brokenness the world around me inflicts on my own life, Disease, loss, grieving and mourning. God's love is bigger than all those things. Somebody say, Amen. And God's love isn't just greater than our human brokenness, but God's love transforms the brokenness around us. God's love for David through Bathsheba And all the sin that took place there will still use that relationship to bring us the next king. And in reality, bring us the great eternal king. That is transformation. That is taking brokenness. And not just, well, maybe I can make something a little good out of it. But life-changing good that comes because of God's greater steadfast love you're invited, I'm invited, we're all invited, everybody online is invited to accept the love that is offered in Jesus and take whatever today's next step in trusting and putting our faith in Him. That may well be a first step of saying, I can't live without you and my brokenness can't be healed by anything else. I need the waters of baptism and contact with the blood of Jesus. It may well be that you say, I just need to trust Him a little more in finding a softness in my heart for the people in the world that I find hard to love. It may be that you need prayers of this church because in your life there are people that are hurting, or maybe you are hurting. Whatever the next step of faith is for you, you're invited to accept God's love is big enough to address it And we want to help you in that in any way that we possibly can. If you're online with us, there's a number that you can send a text to. And we would love to start a conversation about what that next step of trusting Jesus looks like. What that next step of receiving His love and becoming His love in the world. We're going to sing a song. And I don't know how you're going to respond to the invitation, but I invite all of you. You don't need to walk forward, you need don't need to take a step. But our lives need to be changed by the love of God. All of our lives need to be changed by the love of God. And I pray that you won't leave that seat, that you won't leave this auditorium, that you won't leave this building and parking lot without a sense of how your life is going to be a little different. Not because you're so good, because we're all broken want to say amen to that? Because we're all broken, but his love is greater than our brokenness. Let's come and sing.